Welcome to Swine Doc Pod with Carthage. My name is Dr. Clayton Johnson. I'm the host of Swine Doc Pod and a partner in veterinarian here at Carthage Veterinary Services. I'm here today to talk to you about a topic that's near and dear to our hearts and the Carthage team, and that's sow share ownership. Um, and as always, our, our podcasts are um, in a collaboration with the SwineWeb.com team. Uh, Jim and his team at SwineWeb.com do a wonderful job of keeping us here at Carthage up to date on what's going on at the industry through their website. Uh, you can find our podcast at SwineWeb.com, along with a lot of other industry podcasts and information. Uh, if you haven't checked out the website, please go to swine, uh, SwineWeb.com and check that out. Uh, joining me to talk about this topic of sow share ownership are a couple of experts on the subject. Uh, we've got Ted Ufkis uh, and Steve Tuhill, both veterans of the podcast. Um, and I'll ask you guys to give us an introduction to kind of kick it off. Ted, if, if you would um, talk to us a little bit about your background and what your role is here with Carthage. Yeah, thanks, Clayton. Um, I've been here at Professional Swine Management for um, going on 10 years now. Um, started as their chief operating officer and then uh, recently moved into the chief executive officer role. Um, prior to that, you know, grew up on a farm here, actually local to Carthage, um, spent some time outside of the industry in automotive and then in, in the management consulting. Um, my days really consist of driving the business um, and then working with a lot of what we're going to talk about today, which would be our current and, uh, you know, potential new investors in our sow farms. Very good. You mentioned professional swine management, Ted. Um, you know, and uh, here, here at Carthage, we get called a lot of things. Carthage Vet yep. Service, Carthage System, professional swine management. Um, I personally get called some other things that we won't bring up on the podcast. Uh, but Ted, could you kind of clarify a little bit for the audience, you know, professional swine management, Carthage System, what do those terms mean? Yeah, sure. And, and you know, that's, that's a bit of the branding that we're trying to work on. Um, professional swine management really started as an offshoot of Carthage Veterinary Service, um, you know, almost 20 years ago. And really the intention there was to, to try to grow and expand and, and build a, you know, a system of uh, family-owned producers. Um, and over time, we, we've kind of gravitated towards that Carthage system name, which is really what we call the collective group of sow farms that we manage. Um, and that's, you know, grown in the industry in terms of, uh, you know, name recognition, you know, but really as you break down what the Carthage system is, it's lots of different farms that we manage and hundreds of different families that own that system. Very good. Also joining us today to bring expertise on the topic of South Share ownership is Steve Tuhill. Steve, I know the, the folks that listen to the podcast regularly are very familiar with your work on the wean pig pricing segment. But just in case there is anybody in the world that hasn't been fortunate enough to meet Steve Tuhill, why don't you give your, the, the listeners a quick introduction? Yeah, thanks, Dr. Johnson. Um, so I started the Carthage system around four years ago. Uh, my background, grew up on a fire to finish farm there in central Illinois and then been in the pig business, uh, managing sow farms and, and finishing systems uh, up until four years ago when I joined the uh, Carthage system and, or professional swine management. And so my, uh, my role at Carthage is pretty unique compared to other business development uh, positions because I, I do get involved in wean pig sales and, and pricing and, and bringing new, new opportunities to the, the clients of the system and, and our business um, itself. Very good. So we're talking about sow share ownership. 
Um, and that's certainly not a, a small business model in the industry, but it's unique from maybe some of the others that people are familiar with. Um, Ted, could you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what is sow share ownership? What are sow shares? If you, if you own in a sow farm with shares, what does that mean? What are the different business models under that umbrella? Yeah, I think the beauty is, Clayton, that there's there's not one um, one model that fits everything. You know, that, I think that's what makes Carthage a little bit unique is we have, you know, we, we try to fit our model of what a sow ownership uh, what it looks like for that individual family or group uh, to tailor to their specific needs. If you go back in history far enough, really the sow share model started with breeding stock. Um, guys that had their, you know, um, you know, integrated systems at home. You know, they had a they had a sow farm at home, uh, or these sows at home that they they uh, they worked on themselves. They they saw the value in uh, consolidating and uh, leveraging, you know, uh, numbers to. Um, to, on their breeding stock, and so some of the early farms within Carthage were just that they were they were genetic farms producing gilts. It would go back to the uh, to the sow farms for the owners within that, and many of those farms had you know 50, 60 owners. Um, it's just you know, and times have changed, and that quickly evolved into a model of well, let's do this on a commercial sow setting, and, and there's a variety of reasons that we'll get into on on why that's an advantage. But the uh, but the concept was let's let's group together some like-minded individuals. Um, we'll collectively build a farm, and then we'll uh, we'll create a you know a share model where we get the pro rata output of that farm uh, to go to our home operations. Um, we typically think of one share equaling one sow, um, and you know we typically think of you know that that sow's production going back to that that home farm so you know if somebody has pharaoh to finish our facilities at home they can basically eliminate the the, the breed to wean side of things uh, get into a sow unit and then still take the pigs from that farm into their home operation um, that would be the most common model that we have here at carthage um, it, it, it would be guys that you know uh, maybe used to raise um, sows at home um, and then today don't ship very good. Steve, do you want to talk to us a little bit on the business development side about uh, what sort of producers you typically interact with that are interested in South Share ownership? Is there kind of one common producer type that's interested in South Shares, or do you see that being a variety all over the board? You know, with the, with the way our system is set up, we do have a variety kind of all over that board. Um, all of it usually goes back to the core of the family farm, um, some way, shape, or form. You know, we have a large percentage of our farms are owned by family farmers. and they, uh, But we also have some other entities uh, like co-ops that would that would own end farms. But if you look what, what who owns the co-op, they would still be family farmers that are, that are uh, you know, involved in those co-ops. And so you can take your grassroots back to the family farm with them as well. Uh, it's pretty unique for me because I am doing the wean, wean pig sales. So I kind of know where the guys that, as are evolving from one, uh, one step to the next, um, from buying pigs to then wanting to eventually own the sows and build equity that way or or try cheapening up their pig cost or just or just solidifying a, a source of pigs a, a healthy source for their their home entity um, so you kind of see a little bit of everything and, and flavor to that um, and uh, to Ted's point I think the the uh, flexibility and to not have one shoe fits all sizes um, you know uh, dynamic that we have here at Carthage allows us to be a lot more flexible and, and uh, meet a lot of different people like that. 
Very good. Steve, um, for people that are interested in looking at South Share opportunities, um, you know, if, if you're not currently working with Carthage or one of the other management entities that are out there, how do you how do you get involved? I mean, how do you even get involved in the discussion to find out what's available? Ultimately, how do you find an opportunity to, to get South Shares? Yeah, it's, it's embedding yourself with the right people and the right contacts. It's no different than how we go and find our opportunities too. Um, ask a lot of questions, know who you're doing business with, um, get comfortable and build that relationship. Um, I get calls a lot of times that um, you think, man, I don't know if this guy's ever going to call back, but he had a lot of good questions about silo shares. Um, and, and they may actually start about wean pigs and then and develop the conversation in the silo shares after two or three conversations. Um, I'd tell you that I'll always spend the time to try talking to you and, and uh, to vet out what's best for your operation. And, and silo shares, you know, is not necessarily for everybody, but the ones that it is for, um, you know, we'll spend the time and, and we'll make sure it's the right fit because at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, it's not going to work for us either. Ted, for um, producers that are investing in sow shares, historically, is that buying sow shares that are existing from another person? Or is that a greenfield asset, you know, and Ted and Clayton are each investing in a new farm and buying shares, but it's always new construction. Is there one model that's more predominant historically? And do you see any shifts in that recently? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I think, you know, predominantly the, the, the common avenue has been, let's start and build a new one. Um, there are from time to time, you know, shares available, available on an existing uh, sow unit. But we typically have an operating agreement for that entity and it lays out, you know, somebody wants to, to divest, you know, for a variety of reasons. There's a there, there's really a process that needs to be followed on, on how you liquidate those shares. Um, typically existing shareholders will gobble those shares up uh, because it's a you know, natural way for them to grow. So, you know, they, over the history of time, there's certainly been opportunities to get into an existing uh, sow farm. Um, but I would say those are more rare. The more common model is to, you know, uh, group together folks and go find a site and then build a brand new sow unit. And, um, you know, and, and so of the, all the farms that Carthage manages, you know, 90% of those have been really down that route of uh, building, you know, building a new farm. Steve, as, as you chat with folks that are interested in wean pigs, do you see certain dynamics in the wean pig market that drive people to have interest in sow shares? I mean, is it kind of seasonal thing where people always get interested in the sow shares when the wean pig prices are high and then that interest cools off when the open market wean pig prices are lower? Is that, is that kind of oversimplifying it or is that pretty common on your end of it for business development? Oh, anytime anybody's buying $90 pigs, they're interested in owning a, a sow that's going to produce a $40 pig. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just a natural, natural habitat to, to have that happen. Um, but I would tell you that, you know, uh, things are really, really good right now, even with building costs being high. Uh, and there is more interest uh, and guys just want to solidify a, a one flow that they can get all the time instead of buying spot pigs. There's a lot of a lot of individuals that bought spot pigs for a lot of years and, and were very profitable doing that. Um, it's not a matter of uh, they can't be profitable at it, but they just can't find the pigs today. So um, a lot of those guys are even starting to look today as saying, hey, maybe if I own this out, um, I can get those pigs myself. Ted, um, I know you've talked to me about this being kind of a generational opportunity. 
Um, and as um, family farms, you know, whether it's Ufkis Family Farms or any other family farms have younger generations that want to join the operation that sow shares can sometimes help facilitate that. You want to expand on that thought process a little bit for our, uh, our uh, listeners and talk through what ultimately can sow share ownership help do to sustain the family farm and the next generation of folks coming into that family farm? That, you know, that, that's an awesome question, Clayton. You know, we, in, in our jobs, we get, a, we kind of have a front row seat of, of seeing how families interact. Uh, you know, I think in agriculture, you know, the family dynamic is is front and center all the time. Um, and, and, you know, the goal is always to think about when possible to bring back the next generation. So we oftentimes get brought in on those discussions on, you know, tell, tell us about how, you know, maybe sow ownership might help us bring back the next generation. You know, and all of us are watching kind of what's going on uh, in the world right now. You know, the price of farm ground has gone up you know, considerably, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar an acre ground isn't uncommon anymore. And and obviously that's that's pretty tough to to make that work and justify, you know, buying more ground in order to to bring back a you know a son or a daughter to the operation. But if you can enhance what you do have through you may be putting up additional finishing buildings um, and, and adding more pigs. What well, that gives, you know, kind of a, a role or a job for for that new family member to have uh, taking care of more more pigs. And so, you know, the sow ownership piece really comes into play uh, play for that. And you know, we we've got several examples and actually some recent examples. Um, there, there's one family we work with uh, who had a uh, they had a you know. They used to raise sows, uh, still raise some sows, but their their buildings were getting to the point where they needed to do some remodel work on them, and and they kind of had some questions around, you know, should should we go ahead and do that? And then kind of at the same time, they had a had a son and a and a son-in-law that were were you know getting more into the family business, and and so really we worked with them, partnered with them, and and kind of helped them work through a plan that would get them the same or actually more pigs. And allow them to to shut down some of their existing facilities, which um, which kind of allowed them to focus on what they're good at. So the feed operations piece, the wean to finish side of things. Um, you know, we've got another family we're working with currently on some new sow shares where they've been buying pigs uh, historically, um, and you know it was just tough for them. They they didn't always have consistent health status, didn't have a lot of say in how they wanted the you know the genetics to be as an example. Um, and so we worked with them, you know, as kind of the next step in bringing up that new generation to, to buy into a sow farm. Um, and then so their goal would to, to bring those pigs into their home operation. So just a lot of examples like that. Um, you know, it, it does so many things. And I think as we have those conversations, you know, just diversifying the operation. We've even talked with families that had never had livestock before. They've always been row crop farmers. Um, and, and they're looking at things saying, boy, you know, commercial fertilizers kind of expensive. Um, you know, grain prices are pretty high right now, but maybe adding livestock to the farm isn't a bad way for us to kind of diversify things uh, if, um, you know, things change in the future, which, you know, as we all know, they probably will. Um, and, you know, there's no greater joy, I think, than I have. And what really gets me out of bed in the morning is to think about, you know, the families that have been here 20 years ago. And now, you know, in some cases, we're entering the third generation that we've worked with. You know, so, a, you know, a father has handed it over to his son. And then now the, the grandkids basically are coming into the operation. So uh, it's neat to, to be, you know, play a small role in that. 
Ted, if you're, if you're talking about a family that's going to add shares for growth for more market pigs um, and shares aren't available maybe in the sow unit that they're already invested in and their option is, well, it'd be a new unit or a different unit. Is that a bad thing? I mean, do you, do you discourage people from going down that path and say, no, 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 wait until the unit you're already in has shell shares available? Or is that maybe even a good thing from a diversification standpoint to have that risk at the sow farm? Because at the end of the day, there's risk of PERS and other bad things to spread that risk out across multiple farms and multiple flows. Right. Yeah. And I, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, I think it's all always situational based. Uh, we encourage those, uh, you know, those investors, producers, owners to uh, to work with their veterinarian, um, you know, on the flow. But if they have the ability to kind of spread out um, their flow a little bit, diversifying into multiple sow units has a lot of advantages, many of which you just mentioned, right? You you, um, you you diversify that risk. You uh, ensure that maybe if one of them has a health break, you know maybe the other one doesn't. So you, you're kind of still guaranteed some pigs, um, and and so you know I think it gives them some flexibility on on some stuff too. So um, you know again situational, but uh, definitely something we encourage the discussion around. Yeah. And I think your diversification comment is is a good one because I see that with um, people that come into our business, maybe with um, you know significant ag background, but not in pigs. Um, you know, investors, for lack of a better term, and looking to diversify their investment as any rational person could. And I think this is a good question for you, Steve. Um, you know, you got independently wealthy, as I understand it, in the cattle production business, <laughs> um, and so you you can probably give us some personal perspective about how you know. I mean, you got billions invested in these cows. Right, but maybe you don't want to make it two billion and three billion, and you look to to swine as, as a diversification step. Is is that fair? And I guess, in all honesty, Steve, maybe talk to us about some of the the folks who talk to you that haven't been in the pig business before, but they're looking to make an investment. Uh, you know, what are the different backgrounds that you see out there? Sure. No, and, and actually, I can use uh, uh, mine and, and uh, my wife's a personal example on this. Uh, you know, we put a finisher up. Uh, three years ago. Um, our deal was, is we didn't think we could get more ground bought to Ted's point, you know, land's high, um, landlocked where we're at, probably not going to be able to get more ground right there. So uh, the way we grew our cattle herd was more feed, less acres, um, you know, just by putting on, by putting a contract finishing barn up, um, which has awesome Carthage Gilson, by the way. But, uh, but anyway, so there, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of diversity, um, that can come about on that. And as, as we're talking to people, there's guys that, that you know, they, they might not have been in the business before. Um, they just want to know about it. And then maybe they don't want the pigs right now, uh, but they want to kind of see where that goes and, and have that option to later. And, and we actually working with some clients right now that are saying, hey, we want some child shares right now, uh, but I don't really don't want those pigs for two years and we'll help them get them pigs sold for on a wean pig agreement for two years until they do get their buildings built or find finishers in the right location for them. So I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Thank you for that, Steve. Um, Ted, you, you kind of mentioned the manure value, um, and certainly that looks attractive right now. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit relative to that manure value going forward. You and I were chatting maybe a year ago, and I can remember you said something to me to the effect of, you know, inflation is going to be king going forward, right? You know, commodities are going to, going to go through the roof. And I can't believe how wrong you were with that prediction in hindsight, Ted. <laughs> uh, but that's the only thing you've ever been wrong on. And in all right. seriousness, um, you know, 
Do you see any reason, Ted, why that manure is not going to have significant value to a row crop farmer who can drop their finishing barn, you know, right on top of those, uh, those, those grain operations? Do you think this is going to be a small blip on the commodity piece? Or, I mean, do you think this thing's going to run for a couple of years? Oh, I think it's going to, things are going to change, right? Um, I'd like to think that uh, they'll eventually come down. Uh, you know, I think they will, but there, there's no doubt they're going to have significant value. I mean, we, we've seen nitrogen prices, you know, more than double, um, really just in the last eight months, um, you know, P and K values have really done that, that much or more, um, just a lot of turmoil in the world right now that, you know, in the short term probably won't change that. But, you know, I think even looking over a 10 to 15 year horizon, which is really the mindset you should have in making these types of decisions, there's no doubt that over time, uh, the manure value has proven to be, uh, you know, a considerable asset to people that put up these finisher barns. They, you know, they're more than upset. Um, you know, your NPKA values are are certainly important, and that's what drives the majority of it. But there's lots of other ancillary benefits. You know, driving organic matter into the soil. Uh, you know, people have found a lot of success doing uh, if managed correctly with finishing manure, and and that's where I think Steve and I, as we as we go out and talk to guys that they really have the you know. Um, their, you know, their, their original thoughts are, are revolving around their farming operations and row crop stuff because that's what they know. You know, those are the types of questions we tend to, to spend some time on is, you know, how does this fit into my operation? You know, I think the key is, do you have, um, do you have, you know, a couple hundred acres or 160 acres that you could, you could plop in a, you know, a finishing barn? And then, you know, what are you going to put into those? There's, there's a couple of different options, right? You can be a contract grower. Um, what Steve and I encourage those folks to do is, you know, let's let's think about going one step further, right? And being an independent producer, uh, and that that can be scary at times. But I think that's where we come into to play is to help them work through what those options look like. You know, from a packing agreement, from a support system, you know, a, a team that can help manage the flow, um, and allow them to focus on what they're good at, which is you know driving value for their entire operation. Steve, how about on the wean pig price side? Um, you know, you and I do a wean pig price update fairly frequently on the podcast. We've talked about eighty to hundred dollar wean pigs on a lot of those episodes. I know it's come down a little bit here, but you know, we got a a, a very um, bullish hogs and pigs report that just came out. What what's the forecast look like for you? Knowing it's difficult to judge, right? But do you see any reason why the pig prices on the wean pig side or the market pig side are are going to crash anytime soon? Or do you think that's going to continue to be pretty solid? No, I think we're going to be very solid for a while. Um, you know, it's uh, it's all speculation, right? We do that every day in in, in the commodity market. It's just what it is. Uh, but if you look at if you look at all the information that we're given, as you view that information, hog numbers are down. Um, you know, slaughter numbers are down, and uh, I think it's I think it's a really good time to go negotiate um, some packer agreements, and it's a really good time to to solidify some wean pay agreements and and get your source locked down. And I. You know, seasonally, we're still, although, the, you know, it's dropped a little, you know, a little here in the last couple of weeks, seasonally, we're still way above um, where we would normally be this time of year. And, um, so even with that trend dropping every week going into the summer months, um, I, I think we're still going to be better off than what, what a quote unquote normal year would be. Very good. Ted, um, one area that I, I'm not an expert in at all in this business is uh, on the tax implication side of it. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how producers that are interested in sow shares may look at that and see that as a, a benefit or a negative. Um, you know, what are the tax implications of having sow shares and how does that relate to other ag assets? Yeah. Um, 
and, and I'm no expert either, um, but I but I'm familiar enough with it to, to at least speak broadly, you know, and that's one um, we've probably got the most calls on over the last three or four months on, hey, tell me about um, uh, how maybe this could help with my diversification of offsetting tax uh, taxable gains. Uh, which is fairly natural this time of year, right? As you think about, you know, April 15th and you know, a lot of the farmers have already uh, submitted their tax returns. You know, it, these these buildings are uh, recognized as a depreciable asset. Um, the the sows going into them are depreciable assets. And we're really sitting in, in an environment today where, you know, fortunately, the ag community has seen some sizable gains, right? And I think by nature, you know, the idea of offsetting the taxes as much as feasibly possible is pretty attractive, and and one way to do that is is through a sow unit. Um, there's different um, strategies that can be put into place. You know, there's some Section 179 options which allow you to basically depreciate that entire asset off uh, really in year one. There's some bonus depreciation strategies you can implement, um, and then you know just over the life of the farm as well. And and you you know fortunately can break up that asset class into a couple different buckets that give you some flexibility to kind of do all of those options. Um, the point being is that um, you know it, it may seem kind of odd, but you you invest a lot of money into into a sow unit through a share, and you're going to get a K1. So we create an LLC. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the year, basically, you're going to get uh, a K-1 from that LLC that shows, you know, a gain or a loss. And on a new sell unit, you're going to show a very, very high taxable loss based on that investment, which, you know, uh, allows you to offset gains, you know, from other other activities. Um, and, and so a lot of guys have, have really, really seen that as a, kind of an opportunity to, you know, and again, it's kicking the can down the road a little bit, arguably, um, but even the short term allows them to, to to work with their tax situation and and kind of level that out a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's been seen as, as a pretty neat little opportunity for them. The other piece is, you know, the, the growing equity side of things. So, you know, aside from the tax advantages, you know, over time, as you look through the what, what's driving the cost of that pig is, you're, you're paying down a building and we typically would would finance those buildings on a you know 10 to 15 year type of term and uh, you know over that time period you're paying down you're, you're paying some interest but you're paying down the value of that building and so you're, you're building some equity so if you were ever to sell it obviously you'd have to pay back some of those those, those taxes that you you've realized during that time um, but you know at the end of the day you've, you've got a hard asset that you've filled up uh, during that time of ownership very good you know, the, the tax thing can get really complicated in a hurry. Um, Steve, is, uh, is it a fair expectation for somebody who's looking to invest in sow units um, that uh, the management company they're talking to can explain all those tax implications to them and that, that, you know, you don't need to do all that homework before you come to the management company, that there are folks in the management company, should be folks in the management company on the accounting side that can answer those questions for your specific operation? Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm really fortunate to work with some very, very smart people in, in our accounting department. And uh, I can ask, you know, when people come to us to talk about SAW shares or, you know, what's it about and what's the tax implications look like, I can answer the basic questions and I'm comfortable with that. But then I always reserve the right to go to somebody smarter than I am to, to actually get the nuts and bolts of it and, and don't, and uh, there's no question, uh, you know, no question too small. Um, the, 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 the,
uh, calls this week with clients that were just wanting to know what the them tax implications are going to be on on sow shares. So um, we utilize folks like that all the time to to get the right answers and and at least get you in the right direction on high level, um, so you can go to your personal tax accountant and and uh, verify what we're saying. Very good. And Steve, you mentioned that you know yourself and, and Elise have invested in uh, finishing assets. Any tips or lessons learned for producers going down a similar path about the, the tax implications? Anything Ted shared that you want to expand on from your personal experience? No, I think I think he's absolutely right on that. And you know, you always wonder why guys build a second barn year six or seven. Um, it's usually because you're about out of depreciation. Um, you know, and that's uh, and like our our future goals, I guess, would be um, as we're talking about sow shares, is, is as we get closer to the barns being paid for and ending the contract finishing, our next our next move would be sow shares and filling our own barn. So, and that's, and we get that a lot with uh, individuals that come to us that, um, you know, they may start as a contract finisher or they're contract finishing today, um, but then they want to go and say, hey, uh, you know, barns are paid for. I think I'm ready to do this myself. One of the things we haven't talked about is the economies of scale that come from grouping up producers, like-minded producers who want to invest in a sow farm um, and ultimately building a, a larger farm than any of us would independently. Um, Ted, you want to speak to that a little bit on those economies of scale and you know where do you see the ideal size of a sow unit to capture those while still keeping it manageable? Yeah, and, there, and there's a lot of them, right? I mean, the biggest one that, that I think people realize is labor. You know, as we all know, labor is getting uh, very, very difficult to find. And if you've got a sow unit at home that's, you know, 800 to 1,200 sows, I mean, it, it's tough to kind of balance how you how do you staff that. You're probably doing some of the own, you know, your own labor. Um, you're working in the sow farm quite a bit. Um, and, and there's just, there's not enough there to really justify a lot of people. And so you, you, you've kind of got to, you know, um, rely upon yourself to do some of that labor. When you get into a bigger unit is when, you know, um, you can group those together and get probably more done uh, than you could on a smaller setting. We've, uh, we've kind of landed on that, you know, 5,600 to 6,000 head as being a nice sweet spot in terms of size. It gets you a nice consistent flow of pigs out weekly. Um, you, you can kind of fill that 2,500 head finishing barn, you know, in one week. Um, and it's, it's, it's a big farm. You're going to have between 20 and 22 employees, but it's not, it's not so big that you can get lost in the barn either. Um, you know, there, there's been others and we've talked internally about, you know, could, could, or should we go bigger than 6,000? But, you know, to date that's, that's kind of been our sweet spot that we've found, you know, all the other things that come along with the, uh, you know, economies of scale, you know, your, your supplies and, uh, you know, just your facilities and movements and, um, you know, things that come, you know, as an advantage with, with more scale. The other piece is when a guy comes in as a 500 head uh, sow uh, share owner, you know, he's really tapping into 180,000 sows within the Carthage system. You know, we, we treat kind of everybody the same. And so a lot of that economies of scale isn't, it goes beyond just the one sow unit they're invested in. You know, it, it's really leveraging, um, you know, producers all across the country that have seen the value of doing that collectively together within Carthage. Yeah, and you get the expertise, right? Um, you know, the 180,000 South system can invest in um, some some technical expertise that the, the even the 6,000 South system can't. So I think that's a big benefit as well. 
Steve, you know, when you chat with um, farming families that are interested in getting sow share ownership um, and their goal is to remain competitive and relative in a very challenging commodity driven business, what are the good questions that they ask? I mean, what are, what are the things that really signals to you, okay, this person kind of has a good understanding of this situation. Um, what would you recommend that folks interested in this model ask of somebody like yourself on the business development side? Yeah, the, I would say the top two questions uh, would definitely be, what is the health status of the firm um, and the location of it? Um, you know, is it going to maintain a, a health status that, that they're comfortable with? Um, and the second question is going to be, what is that pig going to cost me when it cuts to my front door? Um, and uh, which is, is both relevant questions if you're investing, uh, investing thousands of dollars. Um, and I would tell you on both of them that, you know, uh, each entity would have, uh, each each individual entity would have different things they're looking for, um, even with health status amongst uh, folks themselves. There's some people that um, just based on where their farms are, the health health status of that pig, if it's a MLV vaccinated pig, it's probably not a big deal. There's other ones that, you know, they're set on a triple negative pig and that's what they, they want in their back door um, based on their operation. Um, and, and again, the cost piece is, Everybody wants the cheapest, cheapest pig possible and, and back to their front door and delivered. And, and that's what we try to do. How do we answer that question on pig price? Um, you know, certainly I've got to imagine that there's some, some, some realities at the farm that have to be understood, right? As feed cost fluctuates, as labor cost fluctuates, it probably can't be a, we're going to sell pigs at this price um, forever. So specifically for a user group farm, you know, it's the, it's the Steve and Ted and Clayton farm and we want to feed the pigs. How does that pig purchase price get set out of those sow units? Um, Ted, I'm maybe asking you that one. Yeah, um, we, we look at a budget, right? We, we try to predict, uh, and you're right, there's things that can pop up that you, know, you don't expect, but you, you try to uh, make sure you've got enough of a, of a slush fund there to, to adapt for that. But we, we look at it on a quarter by quarter basis. So we, we project out based on you know, what we think production is going to be and how many pigs there are, and then balance that out against what we expect the expenses to be. And then you, you pretty quickly get to you know, really what a cost is um, for each pig coming out the door. Um, there's farms out there that have said, you know, we want to run two or three dollars higher than that, you know, and build up kind of a rainy day fund if there's some major repair that we weren't expecting, or you know, maybe we've got a, a, a you know filtered barn and we want to kind of uh, collect some money, you know, out of every pig to to pay for those filters when they need to be replaced. So different strategies that can be implemented, um, but but really it's a forecasting tool that we use, and then we kind of measure it against what it actually had and, and balance accordingly. Very good. Um, Steve, any last uh, tips to somebody who wants to get into this side of the business? Uh, somebody who's either been in the business a long time and they want to add um, sows to their existing operation or somebody who's brand new to this business and they're looking to make an investment for the first time. Any, any last tips for the audience? Yeah, just know who you're working with. Get comfortable who you're working with. Um, you know, there's a integrity and, and trust goes a long way with, with any relationship. Um, so just, just, uh, ask, don't be afraid to ask the questions. Um, most everybody that's legit is going to give you references and give you good and bad. They're going to let you see both sides of it. Um, and, you know, and, and uh, make sure that, um, when you're looking at cash flows, that they're conservative cash flows. So that way there's no surprises at the end and, and, uh, don't be afraid to continue to ask more questions as, a, as they come up. 
Ted, um, you know, when people come to you and they say, uh, what's the PSY for this unit going to be, or, or what's the pig cost from this unit going to be, which one's the better question? <laughs> um, to me, it's what the cost should be, right? I mean, that, that's, that's really kind of their, uh, what they're trying to balance out, right? Their alternative would be buying pigs or raising it themselves. Um, you know, so how do, how do we get to a, a cost that you think is sustainable for your operation? Um, the, the other thing I'd leave you with is, you know, I've had lots of conversations with people and, you know, a guy called me the other day and said, boy, I, uh, I really wish we would have built a year ago. And I said, well, a year ago, you told me it was too expensive. He goes, exactly. I wish we would have built a year ago. Yep. You know, the point is, we don't know what prices are going to do for construction. Um, and that's why I think, you know, Steve and I have really thought we need to put our head down and, you know, find the right opportunity for the right people. Um, but, you know, these are really long-term decisions, 10, 15 year. Uh, we've got South units that are 20 plus years old. Um, prices will go up and down. We get that. Uh, you can't always time the market. So it, it, to me, the right time is what fits into your operation. And then you just got to put your head down and move forward. They, uh, there's a, an old, I believe it's a Chinese proverb. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today, right? So um, it is a long-term asset. And, and thinking about the length of it, um, Steve, from a business development standpoint, from the time somebody calls you for the first time and you connect for the first time until they actually own shares in the sow farm, what's a, what's a range of expectations? How fast can that process move? Yeah, it depends on the opportunities that are out there, right? Um, and it depends on how much homework you've done uh, prior. I mean, because we get, we literally get guys that um, have never owned or thought of owning a pig before that call, and they're going to take a little bit of time and, and you vet that. Um, and then you got other guys that, you know, they've done their research or maybe they've already been buying lean pigs, and um, that kind of expedites that process a little bit. Uh, so I would say there's not necessarily a, uh, a set time period that it should take. I would tell you that, um, you know, as acquisitions happen and opportunities happen, um, especially where there's a strong interest, so that, that does expedite that process for everybody. Um, and probably the quickest ones we always have is, you know, and, uh, and one thing we didn't really talk about today is the number of guys that have had into one farm, but they've invested in multiple farms after that first farm. Uh, those guys are usually a phone call away of saying, hey, get me in another one. Um, so those those are literally one conversation and, and you're talking to the bank and going on um, where, you know, you may be the first initial conversations and then getting their bank involved and helping them uh, talk to their bank or with their bank um, to kind of let them understand what's going on with it and, and what that looks like. So I would say, you know, typically uh, three to six months is normal, um, but that's not necessarily saying that it's that way every time. Very good. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for the uh, the time here. Uh, I think it's been very informative. Um, you know, I always learn something new about the, the sow ownership model when I chat with you guys. And I think uh, the audience has probably taken home a few nuggets as well. Um, I certainly want to thank uh, Ted, you and your team for everything you do in professional swine management. Um, really proud to be a part of that organization. Um, you know, you guys are, are, are not only great producers, but you're also great custodians of 
of the, the producers we work with as assets, right? They've made tremendous investments in the Carthage system, and you guys do a great job of making sure that they continue to reinvest in the system. Um, so hats off to you and Steve for everything you do to help everybody from people that this is kind of a brain fart for to existing owners who are just telling you, yeah, rinse and repeat. I know the process and I just want to, I just want to expand my production. Really appreciate everything you do to help, um, you know, uh, get folks exposed to, to what the opportunities are and, and bring them into the business if it makes sense for them. Uh, for Ted Ufkis and Steve Tuhill, I'm Clayton Johnson. This has been Swine Doc Pod with Carthage. Thank you very much for joining us and have a great rest of your day.